Hey, you blorks. Welcome to Talkin' GC, the X-Factor podcast. It's the only podcast devoted solely, I stole that from Marvel Plus, to Peter David's 1990s X-Factor run. On today's episode, we are going to take a look at his first few issues where he took over the book in early 1990, and we are going to continue on throughout the entire month of March. So if you've been listening to any of my last few Snicktoons episodes, then you'll know that I've kind of been ramping up to cover this this very brief, you know, 21-issue run. Uh, at least I'm covering 21 issues. It was like a 24-issue run. There, there's three X-Factor issues that I will uh, skip a, a little bit later on when, when we get to them because they're part of like a larger crossover and uh, it's not necessarily Peter David's story or his characters. It's just, you know, the, the next piece of, of an overarching storyline. So we'll kind of cover the X factor part of the story, but not necessarily be going through those issues. Uh, but this was, like I said, a, a very brief run. It started at the very tail end of 1991, and it ran for, like I said, uh, just over 20 issues. So it was about a two-year run that Peter David had with this particular team and these characters. And it, it's often overlooked because up until then, it was a completely different team on this book. Not just creative team, but the characters that were spotlighted in the X Factor series were completely different. Uh, the original X-Factor series started back in the mid-80s, right about the time where we were starting to see all of these different X spinoffs. It was like the second ongoing spinoff after New Mutants. I think New Mutants was somewhere around 1982, if I remember correctly. Um, and then X-Factor, I believe, started in uh, like mid-1984, I think. I I'm probably getting my dates wrong a little bit here. Uh, but it, it the original X-Factor series was a way to bring the five original X-Men back into a book because none of those characters were being utilized by Chris Claremont in the pages of X-Men, Uncanny X-Men. Uh, he was, by that point, he had his all-new, all-different team. And of course, he was also working on the New Mutants. And so these characters, these original X-Men, who, who were still, you know, very much fan favorites, had kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, Cyclops was still appearing fairly regularly. Gene was was gone. Um, I think like Iceman and Beast, or maybe it was Archangel and Beast, were in like an Invaders book or a Defenders or Champions or something. Like one of those like, you know, D-list, E-list books that just kind of features some offshoot characters that, that are just kind of scrounged together um, and thrown into a title. And so it was the intention of the X- office to to bring the five original x-men back together and put them in a new book and that book became x-factor but things were starting to change by the late 80s we now had like four or five different ongoings as well as by this point we had had several uh, smaller like mini series some of them were like four issues some of them were six issues some of them were just two issues but we had all these different miniseries that that vastly changed 
how the landscape was when it came to the X line. We had all these hot new artists on these books. Now we had like Wills Portacio had come to the X-Men. We had Jim Lee on the X-Men books. We had Mark Silvestri on a couple X books. We had Rob Liefeld in there. So things were starting to change. And by 1990, things were ramping up for uh, a, a very large change. You know, we had, uh, we were being foreshadowed with the return of Magneto as one of, if not the biggest villain of all the X-Men books. We had uh, all these different teams, you know, we had the New Mutants transitioning into their X-Force book. We had a huge shakeup with Excalibur with a few new characters coming onto the team and a few other uh, creative people leaving the book. Uh, and then, of course, with X-Men, we had the, the splitting, the creating of, of a new X-Men series. So we had Uncanny X-Men and then we had Adjectiveless X-Men, just called X-Men, uh, where Chris Claremont was writing both of these books and one of them was made pretty much to showcase Jim Lee's artwork because it sold the heck out of any comic book that he drew art for. But that would give us like, what, 12, 14, 15 different X-Men. So what happened is they created two different X-Men team books. One would follow one team, which was the blue team. One would follow the other team, which was the gold team. But by taking all of the X-Men characters out of the X-Factor series, they were kind of left holding the bag. Like, all right, well, what are we going to do with X-Factor? And so uh, a close friend of Chris Claremont, Peter David, who who was also a Marvel writer at the time, I think he was writing Incredible Hulk, uh, a, a very critically acclaimed run on the Incredible Hulk, as well as just a writer of various other titles throughout Marvel and everything he kind of stepped into the title and was able to create the all new, all different X factor. The, the lineup, a little bit of it was, was kind of leftovers. Uh, and some of it was already formed by the, uh, the exploits of the extinction agenda crossover series, which was like the last major crossover series where Chris Claremont was the main architect of that crossover it was, you know, it was still Chris Claremont. It was like Louise Simonson was still on there. So it was like the last bastion of the of the X office before all of these artists kind of pushed out those long established writers and, and all of these books started going in, in different directions. Uh, but because Claremont was taking back certain X-Men and because of how that arc ended, that crossover ended, it kind of left things wide open for X-Factor. And so Peter David stepped in and a whole new creative team was put on the book and a whole new cast of characters was brought in to, to flesh out the roster of this team. And I had mentioned that this run often gets overlooked and, and there's a big reason for that. It doesn't have any of the flashy artwork of Liefeld or Lee or Portacio. And it's not a Claremont book. Like he left the book Louise Simonson had left the book um, much, much earlier as well. And this, this book was, was kind of just dangling there. And like I said, Peter David came in and, and with him, a whole new art team. We have Larry Stroman on letters. We have Al Milgram coming in for inking. We have Michael Heisler on letters and we had Glennis Oliver on colors 
And uh, this team stays pretty consistent throughout the entire Peter David run. You'll you'll see a couple guest pencilers and inkers and, and, and those kinds of people coming in. But for the four issues that we're talking about today, it is that same uh, creative team, David, Stroman, Milgram, Heisler, and, and Oliver on, on this book. Uh, but it was overlooked because, yeah, like it wasn't a big title. It didn't have the big names attached, either the, the you know, the beautiful artwork or the big name writers. And then after the whole thing where Claremont and Louise Simonson kind of walked out of the X office and th- they were struggling to find new writers coming in, this book just kind of sat there collecting dust. Uh, it, it wasn't huge on a whole lot of people's radars or anything. The, the other titles were kind of taken over by the artists and, and there were all kinds of different things going on. There were fan favorite characters and, and fan favorite artists and everything. And, and Peter David comes in for, like I said, a very short run, which is probably another reason why this book often gets overlooked. He, he comes on for issues 71 through 89. So he's on for not long, like not even 20 issues um, and then he also wrote majority stories on two of the annuals uh, for his two years that he was on the book. But again, it wasn't a very long run. So before he was really ever able to kind of take over the the X office uh, as, you know, the the best writer left uh, and telling uh, perhaps the, the more unique stories of, of all of the different X books at the time. He eventually leaves the book as well, which we'll kind of cover towards the end of his run because there was allegedly a a fairly specific reason why he leaves the title and it becomes apparent uh, towards the the end of his run. Part of the reason why I'm skipping uh, three particular issues, that was was part of the reason uh, why he, he left the title. So it was a very short run. It was at a time where it just, it wasn't, living up to the hype of all of the other big X books like X-Force and the two X-Men titles. So it, it, it gets overlooked, which is a huge shame because one, the cast of characters is excellent. They all just play off of each other so well. A lot of them were not necessarily unknown characters, but definitely characters that had been underutilized for the last few years of the Claremont era. And so Peter David like almost has carte blanche to come in and and put his own stamp on a lot of these characters. And I feel that he does that particularly well with at least two of them, if not all six of the main characters from his run. So like I mentioned, we we're going to cover for today's episode, we're going to cover the first four issues of his run issues, 71 through 73, uh, is that right? No, 71 through 74. I can math, I think. 71, 72, 73, 74. Okay, I was right the second time. I had to show my work, and so then I then I got it right. Um, so 71 through 74, and and it's really like these these first few issues just set the tone for the next, you know, 18, 19 issues to come. And and like it just it it starts off with a bang. I love it. It's on right here on issue 71. It's billed as, you know, the all new, all different X Factor, which I love that tagline because it harkens back to the beginning of the Claremont era when they brought in the all new, all different X-Men. They started throwing that on top of uh, of all the X-Men books right after Giant Size. So starting with, you know, once they've started doing new issues again with Claremont, it was the all new, all different X-Men. And so I love seeing the, all you know, all new, all different up there. It says, you know, in the top left, uh, you know, a new beginning, a new team, their first adventure. 
and we got just this this excellent artwork from from Larry Stroman and and I know that Larry Stroman art isn't uh, on the same level as the Jim Lees and the, the Hortacios and the Liefelds of this era, but it's very distinctive and it's very good. I love the artwork. I love the line work that he does. And he works so well with Al Milgram inking over his stuff. And of course, the colors from from Glennis Oliver are, are really good. I just love it's such a very distinctive art style. Like there's no one quite like Larry Stroman. And the artwork, it, it complements the story as written by Peter David so well. Like he, Peter David is the kind of writer who always seems to have the reputation of working very well, of collaborating very well with his artists and tailoring his scripts to really play up his artists' strengths. And I think we really see that in this run of X Factor for sure. So this first issue, it's called... <laughs> It, it, it was cover dated October of 1991, and it's called Cutting the Mustard. And the issue itself starts off with, oh, I just love this. It's like a splash page, and it's already a joke. It's, it's, a, it's a pop culture reference, and it's a joke, and it's a splash page, which is like, it's just, it's so typical of Peter David to put this kind of spin on his characters. And it's, it's Guido, who at the time uh, has, had only appeared in like a handful of books. He was the bodyguard for the intergalactic pop star Lila Cheney, who most commonly would pop up in the pages of New Mutants, although sometimes her storylines would bleed over into other X-books as well. But almost, almost exclusively like a New Mutants kind of castaway character, just part of their their uh, their cast of, of you know recurring characters and Guido was one of the characters that would go along with her as her bodyguard. He's just he's this mountain of a man. He's like bald, uh, except he has like a little white spit curl on just on the very tip of his forehead. He's always wearing like those round you know, John Lennon specs and everything. And he's got just these weird proportions. He's like his his lower body is just like regular legs, but his upper body is just this like hulking circle of a body with his little head just like sitting there and his big like weirdly proportioned arms of course the reason why he looks like that is because of his mutant ability and and peter david does dive into guido's backstory quite a bit throughout the course of his near 20 issue run Uh, but it's just it starts and it's like we have guido's head right here in the middle and the rest of it is just his like hulking body (laughs) And the, it's the very first page is joke. Excuse me. You got any gray Poupon? You know, those commercials that were going on in the late eighties and early nineties. Uh, you know, it was spoofed in Wayne's world, even just with the, you know, the snooty guy in the limousine at the red light, like rolling down, like, hey, you know, do you have any gray Poupon? You know, all that. So I just love that it starts off with a joke because that is so typical of Peter David. He puts so many pop references and, and current day references into his work. I just, I love it. And, and right here, like I'm, I'm a big sucker for nineties nostalgia anyway. So reading this now, you know, 30 plus years after the fact, I'm like, Oh, I remember that. Oh, I love that. Uh, but even at the time, like Peter David fans were right that this was an excellent book. So we turn the page and we see Guido and a green haired woman who, you know, we know is Polaris and like a dude in a trench coat. It's not Gambit. It's a multiple man. And they're just sitting like in there's, it doesn't say where they are. Eventually we learn that this is like 
a penthouse brownstone type deal. I guess not a penthouse, but like a brownstone in Washington, D.C. You can see through one of these windows, like the Washington Monument way off in the distance. But it's like this huge area uh, and they've got like this gigantic table and it's these three characters sitting around the table and they're just like having this banter back and forth. They're like, you know, introducing themselves to each other and, and, and uh, sitting at this table. They're all making sandwiches like Guido's got this gigantic like baguette thing and he's making like an oversized hoagie <laughs> as he's talking to Polaris. And, uh, you know, they're just having this really fun back and forth. It's yeah, the dialogue in here is is so great. She's kind of explaining to Guido that uh, she's really excited, but also kind of nervous because, you know, th this is the new government sponsored X Factor team. And she's already agreed to join the team. But she, she's reticent about that fact, because the person that the, the government has like tapped as their the, the character that they want to be their leader of this team is like someone that she has a history with and everything. And she's, and of course, like, you know, X-Men readers know that she's talking about Havoc, the younger brother of Cyclops, Scott Summers. Um, Alex Summers is Havoc. And up up until recently, these characters, even though uh, in their earlier appearances, had a romance together that was continued on into the early Claremont run. Both of these characters have undergone a lot of changes through the mid to late 80s. And they've been apart from each other for a long time. They, they haven't been a couple. Uh, at one point, Polaris was over overtaken, you know, mind controlled by his mutant character named Malice. And she went through like physical alterations as well as mental alterations and everything as a result of the, the mental control that Malice had over her. Meanwhile, you have a character like Havoc who kind of joined the X-Men because he's like, whoa, Lorna's being weird. Uh, you know, not figuring out what was going on with her. And then not only does he join the X-Men, he gets on all these different adventures. There's one that he does with Wolverine called Meltdown that was interesting. There's another one. Uh, he was like pretty much used, manipulated and used by uh, Madeline Pryor, who had become the Goblin Queen. And then almost immediately after that, he falls in and he's like brainwashed as well by the magistrate on Genosha. So there's all these terrible things that have happened to both of these two characters, like over the last five six years of continuity at the time that this book is launching. And so both of them for the first time in years, their, their characters are kind of in control of their faculties. Again, they are hundred percent themselves again. And, you know, she's a, a little reticent about the fact that they're going to be on the same team together. But again, I just, uh, I love the banter back and forth between those two characters, Polaris and, and Guido here. Meanwhile, you just kind of have, uh, multiple man like in the background like he's trying to make a sandwich too but he hasn't even gotten as far as uh, unscrewing the the lid from the mayonnaise jar like that's what he's trying to do <laughs> oh it's really good so yeah um it's like they're they're talking we like we get this is the first five pages of like a brand new story is these three characters around this table trying to make sandwiches and just eating them and getting to know each other. Like I said, the dialogue's really good. Although eventually Jamie kind of interjects and he's like, Hey, you know, this stupid Mayo jar. At one point he makes like a dupe of himself and the two, one of the dupes is holding the jar and the other one's like trying to twist it with all their might. 
they even hand it to Guido at one point, who, even though he's super strong, he's not able <laughs> he's not able to unscrew the lid either. He's getting all frustrated and everything. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, you may have heard at the top of the show, I, I was referring to everyone as Blorks. So at one point during the conversation, Guido is trying to, you know, put the moves on, on Lorna a little bit. And he's like, you know, Lorna, if the, if the guy's dumb enough to let you go, that just clears the way for us. And, and she's like, us, you, you mean you and me? He's like, we don't really, we don't even know each other. And he's like, hey, what? A 90s guy like me says what he feels. I'm what you call sensitive. Of course, some blork got a problem with that. Then I'll defenestrate him. Uh, so so that's where I got the term blork. Uh, it's uh, one of Guido's catchphrase insults that he slings around. So I, I didn't mean to insult any of you. It's just a fun, a fun word that I've never heard before. I've never heard it since. It's just in the pages of this particular <laughs> X Factor run, Guido keeps throwing out blork as like a you know, a, a word for, you know, like an idiot or something or, or a moron and all that. Uh, so meanwhile, like as he's saying all of these things to Lorna, he's trying to unscrew the mayonnaise lid to, to no avail. Even Lorna takes it and she's like using her magnetic powers and even she can't twist the lid off with these magnetic powers. And we finally get, uh, well, first we get a reference where, where Jamie is like asking Lorna what she's doing because she she tries to get the, the lid off the mayonnaise jar. She can't, so she just picks up a newspaper and she mentions she's got to look for a place to live. Um, and Jamie's like, that sucks for you. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, not not everyone has has rich friends that they can just stay at their rich friends, brown the, you know, their own brownstone while their friends are off like in Europe or whatever. Um, and so she, I think it's just a way for her to, to get away from this conversation, it's starting to make her feel uncomfortable because like I had mentioned, she's, uh, unsure of what to expect when, when Havoc comes to the team. And so she kind of thinks to herself, like, you know, Alex, I hope you take the job and I'm petrified that you will. So the scene changes again. Like I said, that was like the first five pages of this 22 page first issue i love that uh peter david's like man we don't need action right away like let's get in the head of these characters first thing like i want to draw the reader in and make the reader love guido for being hilarious and love lorna for being like confident but also extremely vulnerable and jamie just being like this silly goon who has rich friends who's just like hey whatever you know like it, it is what it is <laughs> Uh, I just love the courage is like, nah, we're not going to open it with an explosion or like all the team fighting together against a villain. And then, you know, stop it and be like, oh, well, let's go back three days to when it all began. And like, you know, the kind of device that the people will use when they're starting off with like a new issue one or, or an issue that kicks off a, a brand new story is like, nah, we're going to we're going to spend five pages with these three goobers around a table eating sandwiches and chatting. Uh, and it, it like it doesn't really change like the next few pages as well uh, are also not super action packed. We get we finally get some action, but it's not super action packed. We go over to Genosha and we we check in with Alex Summers, who I had mentioned, you know, previously to this series being launched uh, before, like the Muir Island saga that led to the, the reformation of the X-Men and the need to create this new X-Factor team, he was being manipulated in Genosha. He was like their lead police officer guy. I forget what they call it, prelate maybe. Uh, but he was working for the magistrate. And uh, 
it, it wasn't good. I think eventually they find out that he was being mind controlled or he had been manipulated, which is par for the course for Alex. Uh, but either way, like he's trying to uh, make up for it. Like he's trying to rebuild housing for these mutates who are now free and all that. He's like a foreman on this like construction crew that's overseeing the creation of these these houses as the the new mutant friendly government is trying to, you know, give these people a place to live so that they can actually start getting their lives back and their identities back and all that. So it, it's a good thing that he's that he's doing here. But Val Cooper, who we find out is like the character who is going to be the government liaison for this team, we're kind of finding out that the government has decided like, hey, after all that Genosha stuff, you know, we need to, to make sure that we're doing our part to show that, you know, we support our mutant community and that we're not afraid of mutants, that mutants, there are good mutants as well as bad mutants and the good mutants are, they're going to work for us. And like, we're going to have a task force that is sensitive to the needs of this community. And we're going to put this team together and, and Val Cooper is going to be that liaison. She's going to be the, the, the government agent who kind of watches over this team and works with this team. And so she is here in Genosha trying to recruit Alex to come lead this team. And as she's talking to Alex, they're on a construction site. She's not wearing a hard hat, of course. And at the top of this building, a girder gets loose, maybe, you know, seven, eight stories up, 70, 80 feet up in the air. And this girder gets loose. It's falling and it's falling like right above where Val and Alex are standing. And Alex notices the girder falling. He's like, Val, look out. He's like trying to shoot his, you know, super circles up at this girder thing. And all of a sudden we hear like an Irish voice and we see this like werewolf looking character. I'm not going to do an Irish accent because I can't do it justice. But she's like, I've got you, Alex. Hold on. And this character comes running like out of nowhere and like tackles Alex out of the way of this falling girder. And Alex is like, Rain, are you crazy? Like, what do you? And and so he he, he lands and he kind of fixes himself and he sees that Val is still standing there, like standing her ground as this girder just plummets towards her. And uh, Alex has no choice but to like stand up and just completely vaporize this girder with his mutant abilities, which is that he can blast out like plasma bolts, uh, which I I've always loved how they're, how the power is shown I don't know why, but like they've always visualized his power with these like concentric circles. It's really a lot of fun. Uh, it, it really makes for some like super unique visuals whenever Alex kind of lets loose. Uh, but he does. He he jumps up and he completely vaporizes this girder before it can land on Val. And he's yelling at her like, why the heck didn't you move? What's wrong with you? And she's just like, eh, well, you know, consider it a field test. I had to make sure that... Uh, you know, when your instincts had to kick in that they did. And she's like, I'm, you know, and I'm impressed. Like that's, you made the right choice. So now we're further convinced that you're the man for the job. Of course, before we get Alex's answer, we figure out what's going on with rain and why she's there. Uh, we come back to Washington DC because we have to round out the team. We've been introduced now to the five characters who are going to make up X factor, but there's one more character who's actually part of the roster, despite the fact that he rarely gets credit for it. And that is Quicksilver Pietro Maximoff, who at the time, you know, was still considered to be the son of Magneto. Uh, 
luckily this was still what 20 23 years before that terrible retcon At the time in the comics, Quicksilver was married to the inhuman character known as Crystal. Um, I'm not really quite sure what Quicksilver had been up to recently in the comics because when it comes to late 80s and early 90s Marvel, I'm very much, well, I shouldn't say those that era, pretty much the entire run of Marvel. I'm not a huge reader of non-X-Men books with few exceptions. Uh, Daredevil and Spider-Man are kind of my my go-tos when it comes to Marvel characters that are not X-Men related or in an X-Book. Uh, when it comes to things like the Avengers or the Fantastic Four, I, I, I have very little knowledge of what was going on in comics at the time. So I'm not sure if at this point, like Pietro was still showing up in Avengers books or because of his marriage to Crystal, if he was more showing up in like Fantastic Four books, because generally the Inhumans appeared more in Fantastic Four than Avengers. But, you know, there, there was a lot of, of crossover. And I know that Quicksilver was on the Avengers team along with Wanda for a long time, but I'm not sure where he was by the end of the 80s and in 1990. Obviously, he wasn't being used very well or at all. Uh, and so he he was elected <laughs> to appear in this book, uh, which I'm happy about. Uh, but here we go. Uh, he just kind of teleports into the middle of Washington, D.C., courtesy of the only Inhumans character I actually like, the teleporting gigantic dog Lockjaw. <laughs> so he arrives right here in Washington, D.C., like right outside of Roxxon headquarters for some reason. And there's like a demonstration going on by some environmentalists about how much they don't like Roxxon, uh, especially because of, you know, Roxxon's unenvironmentally friendly business practices. Uh, but that's kind of not really here or there. It doesn't really factor too much into the story, although it does give us the reason why Quicksilver is here. As he's at this protest, some people come running out of the building. They're like, oh, no, a bomb threat. A bomb has been called in. And so Quicksilver's like, well, I guess I'll do what I got to do. And he runs into the building. He finds the bomb. He brings it back out. He dismantles it in front of everyone. You know, he, he's the hero. He doesn't really seem to care. He's not super impressed by himself, oddly enough, because uh, being impressed with himself is generally one of Pietro's most defining attributes, <laughs> but not particularly in this scene. Um, he just kind of runs in gets the bomb, undoes it. And then he's like, where's X-Factor's headquarters? And of course the people here are like, who would never heard of X-Factor? And he's like, okay, fine. Where's, where's Embassy Row? And they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a mile that way. And he's like, all right, cool. So he heads off. And then we go back into Genosha to check with the, uh, the other two characters. So here we are, you know, Val Cooper is still giving her, her hard pitch to uh, Alex, of course, Rain's here as well. The whole stuff with Alex and Rain and Genosha, it's all intertwined. And so that's why she's here. She's pretty much just saying like, wherever you go, Alex, I, I'm going to have to go as well. Like we've, our fates have been intertwined because of all of this Genosha stuff. So, you know, that's why I'm here. And Alex is like, okay, then, you know, it's fine with me. I, I totally understand. Um, and again, like I said, Val Cooper comes in. She's still trying to give him like the hard sell. 
And he's like, look, you know, I don't want to be some government stooge. I literally just was a government stooge for Genosha uh, against my will. But like I it left a really bad taste in my mouth. I really don't want to be part of some government team. I don't have a good experience with it. Not even the American government. Like, I'm sorry. But my answer is uh, pretty much no at this point. I'm, I'm not interested. My mind's made up. And I think it's... Uh, there's a knock at the door at this point. Like he kind of goes on his whole spiel um, saying like, yeah, I don't want to be on this team. And there's a knock on the door. He goes over and answers it and in walks. Well, I shouldn't say walks, but in comes professor Xavier and Alex's brother Cyclops. Of course, you know, rain's really happy to see the professor. It's been a long time. And uh, they kind of take Alex through this walk down Genosha and they pretty much tell Alex like, look, you know, here's the deal. The government team is going to be founded and funded, whether you're part of it or not, but you're going to do more good for mutants there than you are here by having you lead this team. Like we as mutants, you know, we here at the X family will know that someone capable and who is, you know, on our side, th that person will be in charge, you know, and he pretty much says like, you have to, we need you to do it. And he's like, oh, by the way, Lorna's on the team. And and I think that's, that's finally what, uh, <laughs> what sells uh, Alex on joining. But before he can really respond to that, he just kind of asks like, oh, Lorna, oh. Uh, but then the scene changes and we actually go to Lorna, um, who is answering the door of the brownstone in Washington, D.C. And it's Pietro. So he's finally made it his mile from the Roxxon building over into this building. He op She opens the door. Pietro is standing there. He doesn't look good. And he, he immediately faints, you know, like, hey, I'm here. I need your help. Oh, I'm passed out. <laughs> so Guido's putting him on the couch. Jamie's trying to talk to Lockjaw and everything. Pietro, luckily, he, you know, he quickly recovers and he sits up and he sees, he sees Jamie talking to Lockjaw and he's like, hey man, what are you doing? And Jamie's like, well, I'm trying to ask Lockjaw what was wrong with you, but he's not, he's not answering. And uh, Quicksilver starts laughing and he's like, yeah, you've been lied to. Uh, it's the same trick that like Triton and Gorgon and Karnak played on the thing when they first met Lockjaw. <laughs> So like, uh, what a gullible idiot you are, Jamie, and all this. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, but ultimately, uh, Quicksilver explains why he's here on the team. But we're going to have to wait at least one more scene before we find out why. Back in Genosha, or rather, I should say, on a plane from Genosha into Washington, D.C., we have um, Alex and Rain sitting on this plane with Val, and they're kind of going over the team, right? So she's like, here you go. Here's your team. We have uh, Guido, former bodyguard for an off-world rocker named Lila Cheney, built like a tank. Lorna Dane, a.k.a. Polaris, recently reacquired her mastery of magnetism. You've met Jamie Madrox. The multiple man creates replicas of himself. He's his own best friend. Any questions? <laughs> uh, and, and I like that uh, we actually get Jamie, Lorna, and Alex on this team because the three of them spent so much time together 
on Muir Island, you know, way back as we were ramping up to the Dark Phoenix saga, when Jean thinks the other X-Men have died in Magneto's base in Antarctica, she goes and spends a lot of time at Muir Island with Lorna and Alex and, and Jamie. So those, those three characters, they have like a, you know, this built-in camaraderie. They, they know each other. So it's a really easy situation for Alex to step into. He's like, here's a team of five. One of them was like, we're kindred spirits because of all this Genosha stuff. And the other two, you know, my, my long lost lover, Lorna, and, you know, a good pal of mine, Jamie, uh, we're, we're all going to be on the same team. I also really love this moment because Alex mentions the fact that uh, Val is taking on this job, which is like a really tough job and all this. But he also says to her, like, you seem to be really enjoying this, like, despite the fact that we're kind of like this hodgepodge group with this, like, uh, you know, very questionable motive here, like, you you seem to having a, be having a great time. And, and she mentions that she's very excited with her new job prospects and that she almost became an FBI agent with her brother who is currently up in Washington state because they, you know, the, the dead girl that was found wrapped in plastic, which is it's 1991 and we're getting a twin peaks reference, which I absolutely love because that show was wild and I loved it. Well, I didn't not loved it. I didn't love it as a kid because I was six years old, uh, but I, I recently watched it for the first time, maybe six years back, five or six years ago. And like, it was nuts. And I, I just, I loved it. It was so good. I think I've actually binged the two seasons, maybe three or four times now. Um, I still haven't seen the, the showtime. I think it was showtime. Maybe it was Cinemax, the continuation, you know, the, the twin peaks, the return or whatever it was called. Um, I still haven't had a chance to watch that one yet. Cause it's still behind the, you know, premium cable, uh, paywall. Uh, but when I'm finally able to see it, um, I'm, I'm super looking forward to it. But yeah, like I love Twin Peaks. So I love getting it. Her name is Val Cooper. So obviously her brother is Dale Cooper <laughs> from from Twin Peaks. Anyway, yeah. So there we go. So now we, we go back into Washington, D.C. We're at the Brownstone. And now Pietro is explaining the reason why he's in Washington, D.C. and why he needs the help of X-Factor is because when he uses his mutant powers, he it's they're slowly killing him. And they're like, how do you know this? What's going on? And he's like, well, I got this postcard. <laughs> and he reads them the postcard and says, dear Mr. Silver, haha, I have turned your power against you. You'll never find me. Sincerely, an evil individual. And it's got a D.C. postmark. <laughs> so... <laughs> this postcard that Quicksilver gets that's obviously so ridiculous uh, has led him to to come to Washington, D.C. And again, that's led him to uh, X-Factor. He knows the X-Factor is being founded, uh, being formed in, in Washington, D.C. So he's come to get their help while they find this evil individual. I'm doing finger quotes here. Evil individual here in in Washington, D.C. And I love Lorna's response. She's like, it's terrible. What would make someone do something like this? And Guido's like, you ask me, I blame society. <laughs> and like right at that moment, uh, in walks Alex, you know, Alex runs over or not runs over. Lorna sees Alex. She runs over. She gives him a big old hug. Guido, the softy, you know, the sensitive man that he is. He's like, oh, of course, Rain's not too happy about it. Val Cooper sees Quicksilver and she's like, what are you doing here? 
because you know he's not part of this manifesto thing and she and he's like an evil individual has turned my powers against me <laughs> and, and Val's, what why and uh and alex <laughs> doesn't miss a beat he's like you ask me i blame society uh, i love it um for whatever reason, Jamie kind of walks up and he's like, hey, uh, you know, that's that seems to be the the, the theme here. Anyway, uh, can anyone open this mayo jar? <laughs> so Alex blasts it with his, you know, his, the power of circles. That doesn't seem to work. Uh, Val gets it and she just kind of bonks it on the countertop a couple of times and then just opens it right away. No problems at all. And uh that's the end of the team coming together. So everyone has finally formed. They're all part of this team. And there you go. You've now been introduced to X factor. Of course, we don't get any kind of mystery or, or anything. Well, I guess we do the evil individual, but we don't really see what's going on. Like, yeah, the team is formed, but what are they going to do? Well, luckily for us, Peter David has given us uh, three last pages to kind of set the stakes for this newly formed team. So as was mentioned previously in the issue, Jamie is not staying in the brownstone with the team. He's staying at a friend's brownstone because they're out of town. It's a big, fancy, you know, rich person's brownstone. So there he is. And he's in there just like sitting on the couch, just laughing his head off because it was a it was a trick mayonnaise jar. And he's like, oh, man, it was that was the greatest prank ever. This is so good. Oh, man, this is great. <laughs> it's like okay yeah great this is a hilarious practical joke man uh and he's sitting there and and as he's sitting on the couch laughing at how clever his own joke was there's a knock at the door so of course he goes over he answers it he he cracks the door open we get a shot of someone like cocking a shotgun and then it just blasts jamie right through a window he crashes out the window and he falls down and he's like laying in the street covered in ketchup <laughs> uh, and it just says to be continued. And that's how the first issue ends. So there you go. We are going to jump right into issue 72, which is the second issue of the series. Like I said, it's the same team, David Stroman, Milgram, Heisler, and Oliver. And this one, issue 72, it's called multiple homicide. So this one begins at the crime scene. You know, the, we last saw Jamie dead on the street. And so this one starts uh, at the crime scene. There's, uh, <laughs> there's a, a news reporter here who's doing a story. And uh, they're, they're covering the show or they're, they're covering the news. They're, they're, <laughs> they're covering the crime on the news. I don't know why that was so hard for me to say. <laughs> they're covering the story on the news, and it actually takes a few pages before we finally get into our story. It actually turns out back at X-Factor's Brownstone, Valerie Cooper, while she's doing some work in her office late at night, she has you know the tube on, and she's listening, and... Uh, it real she realizes that this crime happened at the Rosenfeld's brownstone and she recognizes that name as the name of the family where Jamie Madrox is house sitting for them while he's part of the team so uh you know quicksilver comes running in and you know he's like what do you what was happening are you having like a you know a, a nightmare or whatever 
Um, and he's like, I, I heard you yell, you know, Jamie's name. And, and she's like, he's, he's dead. It was on the news. And Quicksilver is like, oh, must have been a, snow, a slow night. <laughs> oh, man. He really, uh, he really doesn't like Jamie. Quicksilver, that is. He, he really doesn't like Jamie. So that's what's been going on with uh, with Val and Quicksilver as they've been staying at the Brownstone. We then go and check in with the, the remaining members of the team. They're actually like in the gym and I'm not quite sure if they're in the gym at the Brownstone. It looks like they're in the gym at like Guido's. It seems that like Guido has a mansion here. Um, and like he is being massaged by this woman who's like walking on his back and like Polaris is riding like a stationary bike and uh rain is like doing gymnastics i like that alex is here but he's not working out like he's wearing his regular clothes and like a jacket and his little head sock thing and everything and uh, we're actually getting some insight here into guido and he's like you know when i was being raised my parents were like big misers and they, they pinched every penny and they raised me to be the same way like never indulge your uh, never indulge yourself in any kind of luxury or anything. Like, put all the money away for the end and all this. And, uh, you know, self-deprivation is the the total goal of, you know, being a miser and all this and, and, and you know, pinching your pennies and all that. And and Alex asks, like, oh, are they are they still that way? And, and Guido's like, no. Alex is like, what changed their mind? And he's like, nothing. Like, a satellite fell in their house and they died. <laughs> And I sued the satellite company and got like millions of dollars. And he's like, ironically, I went bankrupt because I, uh, I, I spent all the money <laughs> irresponsibly. I clearly didn't learn the lessons. Um, he's like, it took me a lot of work to get back to, you know, a, a, a state of liquidity uh, and uh, a state of, uh, of wealth. Uh, so, so yeah, he's like, I took the bone breaking job of, uh, being a bodyguard for them. So we get this, this fun story and Guido's like, yeah, you know, eventually I learned how to be responsible with my money, but now I just budget for these luxurious things like, uh, this lady jumping on my back and like, you know, she's like jumping on his back and everything. Um, and like before they could, uh, really get into any further detail here, Val Cooper, Quicksilver and Lockjaw come teleporting into, this place and they're like jamie's dead i saw it on the news we have to get there so again lockjaw teleports you know the, the remaining members of x factor directly to the crime scene where the news story is being reported on and you know they, they immediately start talking about like all right we got to get our boy out of there and you know we let's cordon off the area and all this and you know some of the people start start realizing you know, what's going on and all that. And, uh, it's funny because like the, the ambulance crews here and they're like getting ready to cart the body away. And, and Alex walks up to it and he's like, it's Jamie. All right. And one of the guys responds like, Oh, you know, this guy. <laughs> and Alex is like, no, Einstein, my hobby is looking at random dead bodies and saying it's Jamie. All right. And then one of the guys is like, Oh, well it sure beats collecting comic books. <laughs> And, uh, and Lorna's like, will you cool it with the jokes? Like a friend of ours is dead and all that. And like Quicksilver's there and they're looking down and, and Val is there and she's vowing that, you know, his, his Jamie's death will not go avenged and all this. And, and Jamie's there and he's like, absolutely. The creeps must pay for this. 
And then Val's like, you better believe that they're going to. And then she realizes that she's talking to Jamie and she just screams, you know, and she's like, Jamie, you're supposed to be dead. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and then we get a quick scene change and we check in with this, this kind of like Dr. Frankenstein looking character. He's, he's in some sort of a lab and everything. And he's like watching the news report. And he's like, yep, they're mutants. That's for sure. They're all over my screen and all that, you know, all over my news screen and everything. He's like, and I won't, I won't stand for it. I, I, I've, I've had it with mutants and all that. When I'm through with them, there won't be a, a single mutant left anywhere in the world. And he, and he yells, you know, he, he loudly proclaims like, none of them will be a match for me, Professor Vic Chalker. None of them. Uh, and then, of course, we we check back in with, with Jamie. So we get like a little two-third page interlude to introduce us to this weird, like I said, like really Dr. Frankenstein-looking dude uh, who says his name is Vic Chalker and he's going to rid the world of mutants. So I guess that's the new big bad of uh, of X-Factor. Anyway, it took Val uh, a, a couple of seconds to put like, wait a minute, you're you're here, but he's there, so he's not a, look at this and all that. Uh, and she, she's having a hard time stringing her words together, not unlike a particular podcast host. Uh, and then Polaris comes running over and, and she's like, I'll handle this Val. And she yells at Jamie. She's like, don't you ever do anything like this again of all the stupid jokes. And he's like, what do you, what do you do? Come on. Like, this isn't a, this isn't a joke, you know, like obviously someone's trying to kill me here. He's like, I was, I was sitting in the, in the room and I was playing with my mayonnaise jar and I heard a knock at the door and, uh, you know, you, I wasn't expecting anyone. You can never be too careful. So I created a dupe and I had my dupe answer the door and I saw my dupe get shot and get thrown out of the window, much, much like a, you know, a scene from a Brian De Palma film. <laughs> and he's like, so I, I, you know, I immediately made another dupe and all that and ran back to the door and the gunman was gone. And I, I came down here and uh, you know, and, and I ran into you guys. And so I'm here to get my dupe and he, and he goes over to like absorb his dupe and, uh, he can't, he realizes in this moment, apparently that he doesn't have the ability to absorb a dupe who has died. And he's like suddenly having like a really hard time with this fact. And, and Alex is like, surely one of your dupes has been killed before. And he's like, yeah, you know, like Proteus grabbed one of them back on Muir Island, but like he used up the body so bad that like I wasn't, there was nothing left for me to reabsorb. So I didn't realize that I, I can't absorb my dupes. So yeah, like a kind of a, kind of an existential crisis for Jamie all of a sudden, like where he's not able to absorb, uh, absorb his dead dupe. And uh, Havoc is just trying to tell him like, you know, pull yourself together, man. Like here's the news report and all this. And uh, I love Strowman's art here because we have this like this gaggle of people who have come out to see what's going on. Uh, there's like a dude in just like a full on chef suit. There's like a chick who very much looks like Whitney Houston. There's like a dude who's holding a bat who looks like one of the characters from Dazed and Confused. There's like a woman in a trench coat with like pink bunny slippers and like a, a top hat. There's like a dude dressed as if he belonged, like would play sax at a jazz club. Uh, but he's got like Odie on his t-shirt, like Odie from Garfield. Like, I don't know. It's just a very uh, hodgepodge group of, uh, of people. And I like that, like 
the the way that Strowman does the artwork, it's like they're not all the same proportions. They're not all looking in the same way. They're all different shapes and sizes. It's very strange. Uh, but I just I love the artwork. Uh, everyone is so distinct and, and unique looking. It just makes for these panels to be very fun and exciting. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the reporter comes over and she's all like, oh, what's going on? Like, are you the you know, the government thinks, you know, oh, you're from the government. Is that the case? Like, there's more to it than, you know, is beside the point. Like, I have to ask, uh, you know, like th- we believe that this is one of the, the new members of the team the government's putting together and all that. Like, what would you say with him re- responding so hysterically? And Val says, he wasn't hysterical. And the, the news reporter says, how would you describe it? And Val, like deadpans, like he was beside himself. <laughs> oh, man. And then we, uh, I, just, I love it. And though, so then we cut to like your typical 90s villain, you know, like mustache twirling thing where it's like, it's this big empty room. There's like a single armchair in this room that's pointed at a wall of monitors that make up like TV monitors that make up like one full thing. Uh, And he's watching this report live. And even he's like beside himself. Oh, that's good. That's very good. Uh, And this dude is, is, uh, is, is in the, you know, he's, he's shrouded in darkness and he's kind of standing here in his thing. And and someone comes into the room and he's like, ah, good. You know, you're back. It, It would appear you did not succeed as well as, as you would have liked. And, and the, the shadowy figure responds like ah, appearances can be deceiving. And, and he's like, we must be thorough, you know, first Quicksilver, then Madrox and, and soon the rest one by one. And you're more than willing to help me, aren't you for your own reasons, of course, um, and all that. And then, so they're trying to uh, figure out who they're going to tar- which member of this team they're going to target next. Uh, so, so we don't know. Now we know that there's and neither of these guys looked like that Vic Chalker character. So, you know, the, whoever it was that shot Madrox is, is here and he's working with someone who's hanging out in an armchair watching the news report. So it looks like perhaps there's a second, uh, or, a, you know, a group of, of shadowy figures. There's Vic Chalker. And now there's these two mystery guys, obviously, these are the people, you know, one of these is the uh, quote unquote evil individual <laughs> who sent that ridiculous postcard to Quicksilver. <sighs> anyway, we check back in with the team. We see like Guido and Lorna are playing pool together and Quicksilver's over there reading a bunch of books. And, uh, you know, Guido's kind of getting on his case about it. Like, I thought, you know, using your power will, will make you die and all that. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, the, the thing that takes the least amount of of effort for me to use my superpowers is reading. Like, if I read at super speed, it takes, like, hardly any effort. So I'm not putting any strain on myself. But I have to do something because if I'm not using my, my super speed then like, I'm just an ordinary person. And then I might as well just, you know, end things prematurely anyway. And, and Guido's just like, yeah, well, you know, don't let us stop you. And so at this point, you know, Val, Val kind of comes in and she's like, all right, so here's what we're going to do. You know, we're, we want to get out ahead of this story and we want to introduce the team properly. So we're going to be proactive. We are going to call a press conference and introduce the team before any more leaks or, or anything else kind of comes out. But like Guido, you, you have to pick a code name 
it would it would be stupid if we're Havoc, Polaris, Wolfsbane, Multiple Man, and Guido. Um, and Quicksilver's like, what about me? And she's like, ah, you slipped my mind, you know. So Guido, get on it. So Guido's over here, like, oh yeah, you're right. You know, I gotta I gotta pick something something that would sum sum us up and strike fear into the hearts of criminals and like most important, like whatever name I pick, like it's gotta look good on on t-shirts and and slurpy cups and all that. So meanwhile, you know, Alex and Lorna are like, all right, well, this is all getting a bit heady. We're going to step out and, and clear our minds and, and, and go for a stroll. Uh, Lorna catches up with Alex and, and she's like, hey, you know, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of seems like you've been avoiding me since you've been back. And he's like, no, you're, you're crazy. I'm not doing that on purpose uh, and all that. Uh, and so they, they kind of have a, a conversation. They're like, well, you know, the, the first time we were together, we, we built a foundation of, of friendship and getting to know one another before we, we took our relationship to the next level. So we, we might as well do that again. Let's we're, we're both for the first time in years, like fully in control of our faculties. It's, it's obvious that the attraction is still there. So let's, uh, you know, let's, let's kind of start from scratch. Let's re get to know each other. Um, so he's like, okay, you know, uh, fine. So he asks, Lorna, who her favorite author is, she responds, Emily Bronte. She asks him the same question. He says, Stephen King, we learned that Alex's favorite movie is West Side Story and hers is Inherit the Wind, which apparently is the sequel to Gone with the Wind. And they're out there on this stroll when uh, they have all of these, uh, they hear all these sirens going off and they see a fire truck racing down the street. So they're like, all right, well, we're heroes. Let's go, let's go do something heroic. And they start chasing after this fire truck. We go back into the brownstone to check in with Jamie, who is like further in the throes of his existential crisis after seeing a dupe. And he's realizing is like, man, these, some of these dupes, like they have their own lives, their own personalities. Do they have their own souls? Like what happens when they die? Like I can't reabsorb them. So I don't learn what was going on with them at the time of their death or anything like this is freaking me out. And he, he doesn't know what to do. And Val's just like, yeah, well, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out. Um, back at the scene of the, the fire department, we see that there's a, there's a woman trapped like on top of a ladder. She's not able to like climb down. So Lorna kind of flies up there with her magnetism and uh, escorts the woman down while Alex climbs into the building. He's running around. He spots a few people. It looks like children. Um, and he grabs these children and he's like trying to figure out a way to get out. And of course the blaze is, is kind of taking its toll on the building. And so Alex just, he uses his powers to blast a hole in the wall and he grabs these, uh, again, they, they are about the size of children who he grabs these children and he, he starts running out and he just like, just just dives through the hole that he blasted. Uh, of course, Lorna doesn't miss a beat. She's already down there waiting for him to reappear. She uses her magnetic powers to pull one of those like little, uh, it's not really a trampoline, is it? But it's like one of those, uh, you know, one of those like tarp things that, that, that they catch for the people that jump out of the, the buildings when they're on fire, you know, putting their faith in the fire department. Um, so she grabs one of those and, and she catches Alex and she catches the children um, and of course, like Alex immediately walks over to her and, and, uh, you know, plants a big one on her and just gives her a big fat kiss. And, uh, it's like, I knew I wasn't going to die. I kept waiting for my life to flash before my eyes. And all I got were reruns of 
Mr. Belvedere. And she's like, Oh yeah, you're so, you're so calm and cool. Uh, we'll just ignore the fact that you're, you're shaking like a leaf. And and she's saying like, you know, that took a lot of confidence in me, Alex. And he's like, yeah, well, it was a leap of faith lover. Um, and it turns out that like rain had spotted them chasing the, the fire trucks. So she came out as well. Um, and she's really not happy that, uh, that Lorna or that Alex calls Lorna lover in this situation. She's really, it's like the way they do the thought bubble. She's like watching from around a corner. Um, and like the thought bubble is like dripping with like, I don't know, anger or whatever, or, or disgust or, or something like that. She's really not happy that, uh, that Alex and Lorna seem to be rekindling their relationship, but that's it. You know, that, uh, they mentioned like, oh, Val's going to love this. This will do really good right before the press conference. And so that's where we go. We go to the, the press conference here and Val is introducing the world to the team. He's like, you know, she's like, here's the deal. Like the government decide decided that, uh, you know, they, they want to get out ahead of this mutant situation. We want the world to know that we support mutants and believe that they deserve to have, you know, representation and, and a team made directly to respond to the, the needs and, 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 you know, problems of the, of the community. So every time like a mutant issue arises, they'll have their own government team to respond who, who is uniquely, uh, able to respond to the needs of, of that community. So she's introducing the team, you know, multiple man, Polaris, Havoc, Wolfsbane, Quicksilver, and, uh, and, and Guido's nowhere to be found. And, and so there are the teams all like whispering to each other. She's like, Guido, get out, you know, get out of here. And he's like, no, I look ridiculous. And Polaris is like, I think you look rather dashing. Um, and Guido's like, Oh, okay, well, all right then. So he, he bounds out of the back and <laughs> he does look a little bit ridiculous. I'm not going to lie. Um, but as he's walking out on stage, there's like a kid in the stand who's like, oh, wow, he must be the strong guy. Every super, every super group has a strong guy. And Guido's like, that's right. My name's strong guy. <laughs> and like Alex walks over and puts his face, you know, right in Guido's face. And he's like, you can't call yourself strong guy. That's ridiculous. He sounds like a cartoon character. And, and Guido's just like, you got a problem with that? And he's like, uh, nope. <laughs> so at that point, you know, the team has been introduced to the media. Quicksilver's part of it. And uh, Val opens it up for questions. You know, one of the guys like, you know, how come Quicksilver's not wearing a costume? And uh, Quicksilver just responds like, well, you're, how come your jacket is ugly and all that? Um, and then Val's like, no, no, it's fine. You know, uniforms are optional. And, and Guido's like, oh, come on. Like, now you tell me there, I don't have to wear this thing. And, and one of the guys like, I'd like to ask your, your, you know, your reasons for involvement and strong guys like I'm, I'm in it for the money. Um, and Alex kind of steps in. He's like, no, no, like it fills a need. Like we have to let the public know that yes, there are, you know, anti-social mutants, but just like every other community, there are good members and there are bad members. And we just, we want to show the world that there are good mutants who are willing to work towards you know peaceful coexistence and and at the same time like we also get to be a voice within the government for our community like that's all you know um and so you know someone in the crowd's like well you know a lot of you are, are being referred to as freaks and all that you know uh how do you respond to how do you respond to that you know wolfsbane comes in and she uh <laughs> she quotes 
Shakespeare, you know, the whole thing like, hath, well, she doesn't quote, she paraphrases, but the whole like, you know, hath not a mutant hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions, fed with the same food, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a human is, um, and all that. And one of the last things she says is like, if you poison us, do we not die? And someone in the crowd's like, well, you all seem to be coming back from the dead all the time. And, you know, she, she gets in his face and she's like, you know, my first love is rotting under the ground. Of course, she's talking about Doug Ramsey from the new mutants. You know, one of the most traumatic storylines of, of all of the new mutants is, you know, poor dead Doug when, when he was killed by the right. And, uh, so, so she does her whole thing and the guy's like, oh, well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, you know? And so someone's like, you know, Alex, I think at this point comes in, he's like, is, does you, do, does anyone have any other questions? And someone in the crowd's like, yeah, I've got a question for multiple man. Uh, because you know, I happen to be the multiple man and I want to know just who that imposter thinks he is. And the, <laughs> the issue ends, you know? So that's like two Jamie Madrox tied in uh, mysteries, you know, who killed Jamie Madrox? And then, oh, it was a dupe. And now this guy's saying like, I am Jamie Madrox. So if I'm Jamie, then who's on stage with X Factor? Uh, And I just love the way that issue ends. So that was the second issue of X Factor, X Factor number 72. Um, And that takes us into X Factor number 73, multiple problems. Uh, which is the, the, I should say that's the title on the cover. The actual title on the inside is crowd control, but uh, you know, another great issue again, same creative team here, Peter, David, Larry Stroman, Al Milgram, Michael Heisler, and Glennis Oliver, uh, rounding out the creative team. So this issue, this is a fun one. Um, the, probably my favorite issue of the four that were talking about today. Um, and this is the issue that, uh, gives this, this month's theme, uh, its name. So this is where I get GC. So for those of you who heard talking GC and you immediately got it, like kudos, um, I mentioned GCs in the, (laughs) in the forum, uh, for the, uh, for the, um, Marvel United campaign, when I was hoping that more mutant characters were going to be introduced, I said, man, I hope we're going to get more GC characters and no one really understood what I was talking about. So that was a bummer. So I hope some of you saw talking GCs and was like, oh man, X factor. I love it. Um, so those of you who, who didn't get that reference soon, I will let you all in on the joke. Uh, but we're going to have to get through about half of this issue, before we can. So it starts off like there's a dude and he's clearly in his, <laughs> and he's in his car and he's listening to like weird Al Yankovic. I'm pretty sure. Um, he's listening to, it sounds like he's listening to, um, well, it's not weird Al yet. Well, no, it is. Yeah. It actually says here's a cut from weird Al's new all mutant parody album wings on her fingers. Uh, it says if it's available in five different editions, collect them all. This one's set to the tune of Particle Man. So if you ever heard the Particle Man song, well, here we are getting Multiple Man uh, sung to the Particle Man theme. <laughs> also, I just, I love Weird Al. I'm just like, I'm a big Weird Al fan. Uh, Weird, the Al Yankovic story with uh, Daniel Radcliffe was so much fun. Uh, yeah, but yeah, 
gosh, like I feel like Weird Al was a huge part of my 90s CD collection. In fact, one of the very first CDs I ever bought was Bad Hair Day, <laughs> Weird, Weird Al's Bad Hair Day. Um, I want to say like I bought this. <laughs> I bought the Space Jam soundtrack, the Batman Forever soundtrack, and Bad Hair Day by Weird Al. And those were like the first three CDs that I ever bought. Uh, <laughs> like Weird Al was a cornerstone of my 90s CD collection that I only had for like a decade, right? Because like by the early 2000s, like iPods had started to become a thing. So I didn't have like a very big CD collection at all. Uh, but Weird Al, along with like Adam Sandler, like those were like the two cornerstones of my CD album collection. So I love that we're getting that we're getting Weird Al and he's doing parodies of songs that are all mutant parodies. I love it. Um, anyway, it's like this dude in his car and all of a sudden, like someone crashes in through his windshield and it's multiple man fighting against Jamie Madrox. And they're just going all this like all out Jamie Madrox and multiple mans everywhere. Like who apparently dupes can make their own dupes because one of these guys is a dupe and they've all made copies of each other. And like, they're just going all out. Also like Flava Flav is in this panel because the dude's wearing like a giant clock around his neck. And this is like 10 years before Flava of love. The, uh, the Flava Flav. What was it? What was that channel? Was that, vh1 the vh1 series where flavor Flav was like trying to pick his like his new girlfriend or his new wife or whatever was that that was like i'm pretty sure that was vh1 and like that was like the early aughts so again like kudos to to peter david and al milgram for just like having their finger on the pulse of november 1991 oh man i love all of this Anyway, there's like there's people watching. There's like the, the reporters that were at the press conference are now like they've changed their tune. And now they're like, well, all right, uh, multiple man and Jamie Madrox are like fighting each other now. Like this is a battle royale. Like what is going on? And and yeah, it's all heck is broken loose here. I'm I'm loving it. And like multiple man and like yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, Eventually, like I said, like they're in Washington, D.C., this battle between Jamie Madrox and the multiple man, this alleged dupe and alleged non-dupe has it's like it's spilled out of whatever building they are on their press conference. They've even gone like into the Smithsonian at one point. And this this gives us like my my younger son, Landy's like favorite comic book panel of all time. At one point, multiple man had, like they've broken into the Smithsonian. I don't know if, if it's nighttime or daytime. So maybe they just like ran in past the security guards, but like they're in the Smithsonian and in here, there's like an exhibit for like television props, I guess, maybe, I don't know. And there's a puppet booth with Kermit the frog and Kermit the frog is talking to multiple man and when multiple man gets close enough it turns out jamie madrox is like has got his hand in kermit the puppet and he punches multiple man the reason why i'm saying multiple man and jamie is because multiple man is in his x-factor costume jamie is just in like regular civilian clothes so that's how we'll distinguish between the two throughout this issue and he just like punches multiple man knocks him down and he's like hey guys i found the uh I found the imposter and like they're, they're all just yelling and fighting with each other. 
And the the team, you know, they're all looking to Havoc because he's supposed to be the leader. He's like, what are we going to do? And Havoc is like, well, there's not really anything to do except, I guess, knock out, uh, you know, incapacitate everyone who looks like Jamie to go punch them all. Multiple man, Jamie, all of them. Let's just let's knock them all out and we'll get them back to the brownstone. And uh, I, I see that's what we'll do. And, and Quicksilver's like, you know, super excited about this because he doesn't like Jamie. And now he's been sanctioned by the team leader to go punch everyone who looks like Jamie and and knock them out. <laughs> we get some some fun panels of uh, the, the two of them fighting again. Then we get one where like Guido is walking through the crowd and he's like, he, cause he's so strong. He's such a strong guy that all it takes is like a flick from him with his, you know, immeasurable strength. All it takes is like a flick on the forehead of all of them to knock him out. And he's just like walking through singing like one little, two little, three little Jamie's four little, five little, six little Jamie's as he's flicking each one. It's like plink, plink, plink. <laughs> just like knocking each one out. Meanwhile, like Havoc is, is just throwing like low level plasma circles at everybody, uh, just like knocking them down and everything. Like back in the Smithsonian, regular Jamie has now gone from like the puppet area to like movie spaceships. Um, at one point, he like drops the NCC 1701 from Star Trek. It looks, this is the one from uh, Star Trek, the original series. Uh, he like drops it down, like Jamie has to get out of the way. Um, also fun because Peter David, in addition to being an excellent comic book writer is also like a well-known and beloved Star Trek prose novel author. Um, so we just get like a fun little Star Trek reference reference. Um, they're like talking trash to each other. And eventually one of them starts using like proper grammar and the other one is not. And so the one who's not using proper grammar is like, aha, like you're you're using proper grammar. I would never speak that way. So clearly that means you're the dupe and I'm the original. So, you know, knock off this charade and everything. <laughs> oh, it's good. They're like making references to Marley's ghost from Charles Dickens, a Christmas Carol. And there's like, uh, like a, a biplane at one point that they throw at each other um, outside the Smithsonian, like havoc and Polaris and Wolfsbane and strong guy are like trying to get a hold of the situation. Finally, the, the two original ones who started the fight in the first place have crashed through the windows of the Smithsonian on the, this plane, we get a reference to the rocketeer and Jennifer Connelly being a babe. So again, like Peter, Peter David's just like, fully in charge here. And he's like, yes, it's 1991. The best movie right now is the Rocketeer. And he's not wrong. You know, 1991, Jennifer Connelly was, yeah, she was a babe. Like there's no other way around it. Like these guys uh, who are in the crowd, like they're spot on. And, you know, kudos for Peter David for, for throwing that reference in here. Like who, who would have, have thunk that we would have seen like a Rocketeer reference but it makes sense you know rocketeer is a, a little known comic book movie so the, he's referencing you know the, the that was the beginning of the comic book movie movement you know it wasn't batman 89 
absolutely not. It wasn't the Superman movies that were actually good in the seventies. Like, nope, it was the Rocketeer. Like that's the one that kicked us off. If it wasn't for the success of the Rocketeer, we never would have had blade. We Marvel wouldn't be what it is today. So <laughs> good for Peter David to, uh, to, to, to knocking down that one again. Like the dialogue here is so good. There's all these different pop culture references and this leads us to the moment of that named this show. A reporter comes over and she's, she, this is what she says. She's like, we're coming to you live here at the latest scene of destruction where mutants have been connected. And these mutants are supposedly on our side, you know, thus far the damage in this, uh, internecine mutant squabble is estimated at hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we're looking to get comments from one of the mutant members and at this point, she's standing right behind Guido and he whirls on her and he's like, okay, that's it. I've had it. I'm sick and tired of the word mutant. He goes on this tirade that he's not wrong. Uh, and, and you know what? Like, I'll read some of it. I'm not going to read all of it because it's like four thought bubbles. He's like, you know, thanks to you guys. It's one of the dirtiest words and racial slurs in this country. Mutant menace, mutant scum, mutant danger. Sure, we had a problem today. He's like, and the Fantastic Four and Avengers have problems, but they're not cosmic-powered freaks or superhero vermin, but us, we're always nasty mutants. And he goes on to, to, you know, he continues like, we deserve respect, we demand respect, and we won't get it with the pejorative term mutant in popular use. So one of the people there is like, oh, okay, you know, uh, that's fine. Like, how would you, how would you refer to individuals such as yourselves? And Guido responds, we prefer the term genetically challenged or GCs for short. Uh, yep. So there you go. That's where we get talking GC from. I love it. He sounds like super serious and like you wouldn't necessarily fault him for, you know, the media using this language that isn't very flattering to mutants anymore. Uh, but of course, it's a few pages down the line that we actually find that he wasn't being serious at all. He was actually lampooning PC culture, and uh, he he was just trying to to buy some time for Havoc to get control of the situation before the media continued to report on it further, which I absolutely love. But we will get to that all in one second. First, we have to check back in with our lovable villain from last issue, uh, Dr. Vic Chalker, or I guess Professor Vic Chalker. So we check in with, with Vic Chalker, and he is working on an anti-mutant, well, Iron Man armor, I guess, uh, although this looks more like the Silver Samurai suit from uh, 2014's The Wolverine, or 2013's The Wolverine, uh, rather than uh, looking like any kind of cool Iron Man suit. But yeah, we find out that uh, Professor Vic Chalker has built himself a uh, an anti-mutant exoskeleton. And, and once it's finished, you know, mutants around the world, mutant, <laughs> the dangerous mutant scum menace, he says, uh, once it's done, you know, he'll be the scourge of, of mutants worldwide. And then back at the brownstone, we have... Uh, Lorna and, and Havoc, I mean, Lorna and Guido are hanging out and, and they're, I don't know what they're doing. They're just like at the table. I guess they're playing a game or something. They're hanging out. Alex comes in and he's like, genetically challenged? Where did you get that from? First, you came up with that idiotic strong guy name. And now you make it sound like being a mutant is something to be ashamed of. And Guido's just like, ah, I was just blowing smoke. I didn't think any of those guys would take the GC stuff seriously. 
And then Alex is like, oh yeah, you didn't think? And he turns on the TV and the uh, the news report is like, and here, one of the genetically challenged spokesmen, strong guy of the new GC team. And then even Lorna is like, oh, Alex, don't be a blork. <laughs> anyway, so the, the three of them are kind of having like this argument, uh, like an argument ensues where they're trying to tell Alex that he needs to lighten up and stop acting so much like Scott. And uh, at that point, Rain comes in and she's just telling everyone like oh stop like stop picking on alex just because he's you know trying to do right by everyone and all that and then val comes in we're, we get a lot of soap opera stuff from this which which i i like because it stays in the same vein as the x-men uh books had been under claremont and uh you know peter david comes in and, and continues that along with like you know infighting and the team teammates not getting along and stuff and just creating drama within the team but it's all very light and fun and, and I really enjoy it. But anyway, Val comes in next and she's like, all right, everyone be quiet. Like the, the Jamie Madrox and multiple man are now awake. So let's go try to figure out what's going on here. Let's so see if we can't get to the bottom of this. And she opens up like this room and inside the room, they have like these chairs where both Jamie and the multiple man are, like in these chairs, they're locked down so they can't move or do anything enough to create more dupes. So they've got the two of them there and, and they've got them locked in and they're trying to figure out which one is which. Uh, they're, they're trying to, they're questioning each one. They're trying to get feedback and, and both of them are very convincing that they are in fact the originals. And so they decide like they, they need to go outside of the team and uh see what else they can find to see if they can't find someone who can get to the bottom of it and figure out which one in fact is the original and and which one is the duplicate uh of course the one that claims he's the one that's wearing the multiple man suit is like really upset of course the one uh that's wearing just the regular suit is like look here's the thing like there's this there's this one thing that, uh, you know, if you if you call Moira, we can confirm it with her and that'll prove that I'm the real one. And they're like, all right, well, it'll it might be a while because we'll have to check in with with Moira, who's who's with the X-Men. So as they're all leaving um, at this point, Wolfsbane Rain, she's like, we need we need it. Maybe we should just get a telepath like we're the only mutant group that, that doesn't have a telepath. If we had one of those we'd be able to get to the bottom of it. No problem. And without missing a beat, Val Cooper turns to rain and she's like genetically challenged group rain and rain just growls at her. I love it. Um, so that's pretty much it. Val's like, no, it's fine. I know just the guy we need like a polygraph expert. I, I happen to know, um, you know, my, my former husband, you know, my ex-husband happens to be like the world's best, a polygraph technician. So I'll, he, he owes me some favors, you know, the, the, he owes me two favors, uh, because one, like I, I married him. And the second one is I divorced him. Um, and so they leave and we check back in with the, uh, quote unquote evil individual who, who it says, you know, far from the matting crowd. And again, it's this guy in his, uh, reclining chair in this room of all of these monitors and he's watching and he's like, all right, this is going perfectly. First Quicksilver, now Madrox. 
Who next to use my ricochet abilities on? Whose confidence will I erode? Whose public image will I shatter? And he's thinking like, hmm. And then he, he zeroes in on, on Guido and he's like, ah, of course, he will most definitely be the one. And the third issue ends. And, and, and there you go. Like I said, that's probably my my favorite of the, the four that we're looking through today. But uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, let's move into issue number 74, which is going to be uh, the last one that we covered today. This is Strong Guy Goes Wild on the cover, or the uh, the name of the issue on the inside on page one is Politically Incorrect. So you can tell this is going to be a good issue. This issue starts off with a splash page of a character who is like covered in darkness, uh, but they have the same shape as Strong Guy. It says he waits for the battle that the day will bring. His greatest enemy, whom he has never met, is out there slumbering, unaware that the next dawn will come up like thunder. His greatest enemy, the member of X-Factor known as Strong Guy. And then there's like some some little narration that's kind of teasing the reader. They're like, ah, oh, we bet you thought this was Strong Guy. Well, it's not. Good guess. So we check in with the members of X Factor and we see, you know, that they're they're all sleeping. As it said, you know, they're they're slumbering. We see Guido, he's hanging upside down, kind of like a bat, one of those like uh like workout things, you know, where you can do like the crunches while you're hanging upside down. So he's sleeping from there. He's having a dream about uh Kim Basinger. We see uh Lorna is asleep in her bed, Alex is asleep in his. And he's, he's dreaming about Lorna. He's like mumbling Lorna's name in his sleep. And we see that Rain is actually sitting at the end of his bed, just wearing like her nightgown, just very creepily watching him sleep. Uh, and she touches his lips with her like fingernail tip things. And it wakes him up. And he's like, what, Rain? And she's like, uh, yes. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I don't know. I just uh, sounded like you were having a bad nightmare. Okay, see you. And she like runs out of the room. Very strange, very weird. Uh, she's just, you know, watching him sleep and all that. They all have their own rooms and everything. And then we check in with Pietro, who's also having like a nightmare or, or whatever, a dream about uh, his wife, you know, or uh, he's he's talking to Crystal in his sleep. It turns out that they're uh, like going through a, a rough patch right now. Also, I should point out that he sleeps with a teddy bear, uh, but he's sleeping. He's not really a member of the team, even though he was introduced but he's sleeping on the pullout couch, uh, which I love the pullout bed couch thing. I just, I love that they're like, yeah, we don't really have a room for you. Cause we were planning on having five team members. So you're just going to have to sleep on this bed. I can only imagine that, uh, that did not go over well, that Pietro did not like that. We even go down into the basement and check in with the two Jamies. And at the same time, they're both like turn over you're snoring. And so they both, each of them flips their head to the other side, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, and that's that's it. The next scene, it's morning. We've got uh, Alex and Lorna in the like racquetball court. They're having a good workout, um, talking about everything. They they bring up the fact that it's that it, that Alex thinks that Rain has like a, a serious crush on her. I mean him, uh, just because like she's she always acts very strange, and that like she was she was in his bed last night and all that. And of course that. Uh, <laughs> That uh, doesn't go over well with Lorna. She's like, what? And uh, she forgets that they're playing racquetball. 
and the ball ends up hitting her in the head. He comes over and he's like, Oh, are you okay? And all that. And she's like, Yeah, well, you know, whatever. Um, at that point, uh, Guido comes in. He's like, Hey, you know, playtime's over, kids. Uh, Val just called. She wants us over at the townhouse pronto and all that. The lie detector guy's here. So, so they all they head off to hit the showers really quick before they put their costumes on to go uh, meet up with a lie detector guy. In the meantime, Guido's like, "Hey, maybe I'll uh, give it a shot." And he throws the racket ball up, and he he hits it with his racket, and uh, he hits the ball so hard that it actually like damages the wall of the racquetball court that they're playing at. So, yeah, he's like, "Oh yeah, that's why I quit. I, I don't know my own strength." So uh, it says elsewhere, and this time we're in the room of the like ricochet guy who's been watching all of these things play out on the on the monitors. Um, and you know, someone comes in and they're like, "How goes it, dear ally?" And he's like, "Ah, so you pay a personal call." So we find out that there's there's two of them, and the one guy's calling him, uh, you know, ricochet and everything. So I guess that's the the evil individual. His his name is Ricochet, and apparently he has the power to make someone's confidence go away from like how the last issue ended, but he's, he's talking to this mysterious other character and uh, we kind of zoom in on this guy's face. It's still covered in darkness, but this time we actually see like a red diamond on this other character's forehead. So, you know, those of us X fans were like, Oh man, is that Mr. Sinister? Holy cow. This is crazy. Like Mr. Sinister and this ricochet guy, have been, uh, you know, in cahoots together to sabotage X Factor, and the the Ricochet guy gets up and he's like, you know, very well, but uh, you know, I, I must attend to my other life right now. And the guy and the the Mister Sinister dude's like, oh, no problem, you know, I have an appointment that that will take me across town anyway. So this Ricochet guy starts walking up these stairs and he walks into like a dining room, and here we see. Uh, like two women and a child and one of the ladies is talking to the other lady and she says you know you ask me mrs s i think the senator spends entirely too much time in the workroom of his day and night night and day you know that's how my husband behaved before before he worried himself into the grave so we find out this ricochet guy is a senator and uh you know that's obviously why he's living in dc and all that but yeah he's a He's a senator, and uh, apparently he he's working with with Mister Sinister. Either way, we go back and we check in with X Factor yet again. We're introduced to Val's ex husband, a man named Edmund Atkinson, who is the polygraph expert. And he's like, you know, hi folks, I'm here to uh, to initiate this test. Uh, and so they they start having a the, the, he starts getting the polygraph set up and everything. And uh, Val Cooper's assistant comes down. Baldrick is his name. And he's like, Miss Cooper, you know, we got to communicate from the Pentagon or, or whatever it is. And uh, it looks like we're needed. And so Val reads the, the message and she's like, all right, well, you know, I, I have bad news. We have a problem at the Washington Monument. There's a, a, lunatic, a lunatic and he's he's tracked some people at the top uh, trapped and he's threatening to kill them all unless he gets what he wants. And Guido's like, oh, yeah, what does he want? And then we we cut to the Washington Monument, and at the top is this like King Kong looking dude. It's from from far away. The perspective of the panel, it's like a full length panel that's like half a page, so you get the full height of the Washington Monument in this panel. And uh, there's a guy at the top, and he's just yelling, "Strong guy, I'm calling you out. I want you, you, 
or the meat dies very, very soon. Uh, you know, there's police, the area is all cordoned off. There's, there's all these police cars and everything. And they've got like megaphones and they're trying to communicate with this guy. Who's just incoherently yelling strong guy. I want you. Uh, and the X factor arrives in like a flying car. It looks like a cross between like the fantastic car, but also like an F it looks kind of like an F zero car that you'd like be racing around. I don't know. It's very cool looking. And I'm looking at this and it's like, oh man, like if they would have done an X Factor spinoff cartoon, this would have been such a cool like vehicle accessory for the X Factor toy line. This thing is really cool. Uh, it I, I, Even even on here, Guido is like, you ask me, it looks like Speed Racer's car. And yeah, it does kind of look like the Mach 5, uh, but it's like, it's blue, it's, it's covered, you know, it's not like an open canopy type thing. But it's got like all, you know, the X on there and all that. But like, it looks sleek and and cool. I don't know. I I would have been all over this. This is, this is awesome. I should, I'll share a a picture of the, uh, the X Factor car. And honestly, I don't remember this thing ever showing up again. Like literally this panel and then never again. I don't know. We'll see if I remember to keep count uh, how many times we see this cool, like flying car. Uh, from here until the end of the Peter David run. Like I know at one point it shows up again later on in the run because the way that it flies is Lorna just magnetically propels it. (laughs) Uh, But I honestly don't remember it showing up again during the actual issues that Peter David wrote. Like most of my memory, it's like once, once forge is on the scene um, and the team starts changing is like when, when we see this, but yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see if I remember over the next few weeks, you know, for the, for the rest of the month, if I remember to keep track of how many times we see this car. Either way, like the the members of X Factor who are not, you know, tied into a weird chair thing arrive and, uh, you know, Alex goes into leader mode. He's like, all right, you know, I'm Havoc, the leader of X Factor. We've been authorized to take charge. So he's like talking to the local police and he's like, all right, like, uh, you know, uh, strong guy takes the megaphone and all that. And like the rest of the team just kind of starts working on like crowd control and that sort of stuff. And uh strong guy calls up to the dude at the top and he calls him Mr. Potato. And he's like, Hey, Mr. Potato, you listening? Get down here. Cupcake. So this guy jumps down and he's huge. He's like twice as tall, maybe three times as tall as uh, a strong guy. And he introduces himself as Slab. And he says, uh, I'm Slab, I'm a nasty boy, and I'm here to kill you. And Guido's like, for what reason? He's like, yeah, whatever, you know, this is just like I'm pointed in your direction, and so here I am. And Guido's just like, fine by me, you blork. Uh, so they they have their little match. They're doing, they're throwing punches. I think at one point Slab, like, knocks Guido into a car and then, like, hits him with a car and... There's some fun banter between the two of them. Uh, I don't want to go too much into it, but like they're it's like three pages. They're like punching each other back and forth. Uh, at one point, he mentions, of course, that there's like a bomb in the Washington Monument. So Havoc sends Quicksilver in, but Quicksilver like passes out before he can even get super far into the monument to search for the bomb. Uh, but before we can get too much more action going on, we check back in with Val and Edmund and the two multiple people. And uh, one is 
the the one guy is talking about the coconut grove. He's like, I understand how confusing all this is for you, Miss Cooper. Dupes can become rather vehement. I remember this one who uh, mutated off for me during the business with Unipar and the coconut grove. And, and multiple man's like, coconut grove? What are you talking about? And he's like, see, like that just proves it. Like this dupe doesn't even have my full memories. So clearly he's, he's not in control of his faculties. And of course, Val's like, okay, well, you know, you, you mentioned Moira. Do you, can she corroborate this story? And uh, he's like, oh yeah, totally for sure. Um, so they all start leaving the room. At this point, they've actually freed this version of Jamie. They're like, yeah, the lie detector shows that this is the real Jamie and that multiple man is a dupe. And they leave. Uh, and they leave the one multiple man still in the chair, but they're letting Jamie run around on his own. And they're like, all right, well, we'll corroborate your story. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll let you free. <laughs> but uh, either way, like that's that, I guess, you know, that that's all she wrote. So we, we cut back to the Washington monument again and we check in, you know, the rest of X factor has realized that Quicksilver's passed out, that he's barely breathing. Um, and, uh, Guido uses the confusion where he actually bites the slab character and he's like, Oh, you bit me. Um, and so he tackles him up against the Washington monument and he's like, he's upset, you know, that, uh, he hasn't been able to beat strong guy yet. So strong guy is like, all right, pal, like you're obviously wanting to fight me, but you don't even know how my mutant power works. He's like every punch you've, you've laid on me, every tackle, all of that is just, I've been storing up the energy and now I have to I have to return it. So he he goes to punch Slab, who like ducks out of the way, and Strong Guy ends up punching the Washington Monument, and he makes the monument collapse. Uh, Polaris is able to like magnetically pull all of the uh, the hostages that he had taken um, on the on the Washington Monument. She's able to like pull all of them off. So the monument falls with like no casualties, but the Washington Monument has now been destroyed. It's busted into like five pieces and fallen. Um, as it's falling down, like Havoc has to use, you know, his circle beams again um, to like melt everything. It's like hyper beam attack over here. And he's just like trying to, to I guess, vaporize the rocks of the monument as they as they fall and he's like, Oh, this sucks. Like we got to make sure that no one was trapped under the rubble. Like let's get into it. And he's thinking to himself, like Val's going to be real mad. Quicksilver wakes up, you know, strong guys looking around and he's like, hey, wait a minute. Like I didn't hear an explosion. So I guess that dude was lying. It must just be me then. Um, and as he's trying to look around and figure out where the slab character is, he realizes like, Oh, he must've escaped in the confusion and like run off. Like that sucks. Uh, and as he's looking around the, the Senator who we see from earlier in the issue, you know, who we recognize as, as this ricochet character, he comes running over and he's like, there, that's, the, that's him. I want him arrested. I want them all arrested. They've destroyed a national monument. They should be locked up like animals. Even the most knee jerk flag burning liberal wouldn't put up with this. And Havoc is just like, who, who are you? And uh, we get like uh, one last page and he says, I'm Senator Stephen Shaffron, and you, my genetically challenged friends, are about to choke down a three-course helping of trouble. And and, that, and that's the issue. Like, that one was a, a lot shorter. Uh, it's still, you know, 22 pages, like all the other ones. But that one was a lot shorter because it was so much more action-packed than, than the other ones. 
but we finally get, you know, a face to the name. And uh, it even says like next issue, the conclusion of this story arc, sinister maneuvers, which I would take that to be a confirmation that that other character, that this ricochet guy, you know, Senator Shaffron, uh, was talking to sinister that other guy was in fact sinister and so we're going to get to see this uh this this early kind of uh adversarial group finally be introduced um in the next issue so that one will kick us off next week um i i, I move that one to next week because other than that next week should be fairly short because i think we're only covering like two other x-factor issues because one of them is actually uh, part of a three, no, part of a four part story that takes place over the course of three incredible Hulk issues. And I'm not going to be covering those issues page by page. I'll probably just give a quick rundown of that story and then cover the X factor issue. So the reason why we got this weird crossover with incredible Hulk is because at the time, Peter David was also the writer of the incredible Hulk series. It was like a, a pretty, pretty good series uh, it's critically acclaimed. I'm not a huge Hulk guy, so I've not read much of it. Um, even though I, I love Peter David, uh, again, just not the huge, not the biggest um, Incredible Hulk fan. So I've really only read these issues. Uh, but yeah, I don't need to go into too much detail on all the Hulk stuff. I'll probably just give a rundown, you know, a, a greatest hits rundown of uh, all of X Factor's better moments of that series, and then probably cover the one x factor issue of that story so uh, the next issue will be like a giant sized issue it's going to introduce a fun new villain team that uh, i'm pretty excited about because i feel like this villain team is underrated um, and if, if you've ever listened to past snicktoons episodes it should be a team that is uh, fairly familiar with that you are all fairly familiar with so so there you go that is uh the first four issues of peter david's super underrated and amazing initial 90s x-factor run uh, and i'm very excited i've been looking forward to this month for a few months now actually um even before february um february is like when i kind of decided for sure that i was going to do that but i actually bought the epic collections uh, the first two volumes of the uh, X Factor, well, not the first two, but um, two of the volumes of the X Factor Epic Collections are like um, small paperback omnibuses that collect like 20 issues, you know, like usually an omnibus is like 40 issues or so, 35, 40 issues, something like that. And then a regular trade is like anywhere from six to 12. These usually collect about 20 issues. And the first not the first two, but two of the X Factor ones cover the entirety of the Peter David run. Um, and so I read those, I want to say back in like December, maybe November, December. And I was like, oh man, I should cover X Factor. That'd be so much fun. And like, I think I've read them both again, like two or three times since I, I first got them back, back when. And uh, I, I didn't necessarily have any plans to, to cover X Factor, but then uh, as I was watching and following along the, the most recent Kickstarter campaign for season three of Marvel United, uh, one of the characters that was was released or one of the characters that was announced anyway, that the game doesn't come out till like March of next year or like 13 months away from actually 12, 13 months from actually getting all of it. Those of us that backed it. Um, but one of the characters that they that they revealed is the 90s Havoc and and I love this costume for Havoc. Like it's so 90s and it's so 
uh, it's, it's ugly. Like by today's standards, like all of these costumes are really ugly, but like it's peak nineties and I love it. And uh, again, it like, it just, I love this team um, at the whole time I'm doing these episodes and I'm recording these episodes. I'm sitting there at my desk where I've got my nineties X factor mini mate team. So I've got my havoc and Polaris and they're like, blue and yellow leather coats i got my strong guy in his like really ugly yellow costume wolfsman like multiple man in his cool trench coat with the big giant x on his forehead like i've got my team there with me i keep looking over at him i just i love this era i love this run it's so short but so good uh man so i'm I'm very excited to do to do this and this was a, a really fun episode for me to record getting to walk through these issues uh page by page so yeah we should be I think covering like three or four issues again next episode, one of them being that like double sized issue 75 that will bring in, uh, you know, close this storyline out. Um, and then we'll, we'll cover a couple more of the X factor issues, not necessarily filler issues, but a lot more like slower team stuff again. And I believe next week, maybe it's the week after we're covering like the first annual that, uh, that Peter David writes as well. Um, so yeah, look for that, uh, next week and, uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. You blorks. So you blork, if you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, you can reach out to me via email at talksnicked at gmail.com t-a-l-k-s-n-i-k-t at gmail.com or if you prefer uh, you can join the talk and snick discord it's a fun little community where we just talk about our love of the x-men and we talk about the podcast and whatever else Uh, there's all kinds of different uh, channels that we have in the discord where we can just talk about whatever maybe you're a collector you want to share photos of your collections whatever comment on on other people's We got all kinds of stuff going on over there and uh, it's a small community so far, so it's not going to take up a whole lot of your time. Uh, But yeah, if you're interested and you want to join something and and just get some, uh, you know, in a room with like-minded individuals, then uh, click the link in the show notes and join the Talkin' Snick Discord. Otherwise, I don't have a whole lot for you. This kicks off our X Factor month here on Talkin' Snick as uh, the show has been replaced with Talkin' GC, the X Factor podcast, or the X Factor show. Um, so I hope you liked this episode because we've got four more coming. There are five Wednesdays this month of March 2023. So every Wednesday will be a new episode and we'll go all the way up from issue 71 through issue 89, as well as covering the two uh, X Factor annuals that Peter David wrote stories for as well. So yeah, uh, I'm super excited for this month and I hope you all are too. Uh, but in the meantime, look out for uh, additional episodes of Snicktoons. We are well into season four now, coming up on, on halfway through here pretty soon. And uh, yeah, I've got the next few episodes recorded and locked in. So hopefully we can make that steam. No, what, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. So hopefully we can carry on <laughs> that momentum. I don't know where steam came from. Carry on that momentum Uh, and finish out season four and and jump right into season five and get all of X-Men the Animated Series done and accounted for on Snicktoons before X-Men 97 comes out 
later this year. So that's kind of what we have in the works. Again, I'm not making promises here, but otherwise that's, uh, that's the goal. So yeah, we are, we are back to podcasting. I'm super excited to continue talking about X factor. Not really quite sure where we're going to take talking snick for, you know, April, May, and as we get into the summer, but I'm sure we will figure it out until next time you blork.